0: Well, good morning. Can you guys remember how to find the book of Exodus in your Bibles? I think if you just set it down, your Bible flops open to that section of the Bible. Well, that's where we're going to be. Exodus chapter 25. We are returning to Exodus. All right, listen, before we engage Exodus, on the back of your Bulletin is something called Recommended Resources. There are three books that are being made available, a suggestion for you for further study, particularly in the area of pursuing pleasures. We've gone through the last couple of weeks in our uh, Vital Signs series discussing that God wired us for pleasures. And so there's supposed to be a way that we go about pursuing those pleasures that's going to be good for us and glorifying to God. That category, uh, it it sort of needs some helpful guidance for all kinds of reasons. We pursued a lot of that in the last couple of weeks. But, you know, my experience of being a Christian in this category, as well as talking with other Christians in this category, is, is sometimes when it comes to pleasures... Not everybody has the same opinions about those pleasures. Not everybody comes from the same background about those pleasures. Is that pleasure allowed for a Christian or is it not? Is it okay to pursue that or is that ungodly? Uh, How do you approach these things? And and quite honestly, we often construct human traditions and then we live with those human traditions. This would be a a category. Every one of us is going to live in this category in one way or another. And this would be a, a very helpful, perhaps, moment in your life to take a moment and study what does the Bible have to say about pursuing pleasures and experiencing pleasures? Does God want that for you or not? And, and if he does, how do I go about doing it? How do I understand this? So we, we delved into that for a couple of weeks, but these three books would be Uh, Very helpful, not suggesting you read them all, we just wanted to give you a variety that are approaching the same topic from some, uh, we think, complementary angles. They're going to touch on some things a little bit differently than some others. If I were just to say one book uh, to read, I would probably suggest the one at the top, uh, Joe Regney's book, The Things of Earth, Treasuring God by Enjoying His Gifts. Um, You can never go wrong reading John Piper, so when you're done reading Regney, go on and read John Piper's uh, next as well. Uh, And then the Worldly Saints book, uh, Becoming Worldly Saints by Michael Whitmer, again, a worthy read, but uh, those are, I I don't think we have those available in the bookstore, so you're going to have to go on Amazon and, and get you a copy of those, but we hope that you will. It will serve you. All right, Exodus, let's start reading chapter 25, verse 1. This is where we left off many months ago in our quest to get through Exodus, and we will Continue and get through to the end. Verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution from me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod, for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. Let's pray together. Father, there are many things that perhaps this past week we have read and interacted with. Lord, from emails to a blog post to something in the newspaper. But Lord, there's nothing we're ever going to read that has the, the living power and ministry that your word has your word is living and active so lord even as we've opened these pages up there's a living function taking place as we just read those words because these are your words and lord they are written down to affect us to have an impact and so lord we start this time together by saying god we want that impact we need your living word We need to be affected by it this morning. And Spirit of God, bring us into this word and bring this word further into us. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a a pretty unique moment in God's people's lives as they've gathered at Mount Sinai. I I would say this is a bit of an introductory moment. And introductory moments are moments to be carefully studied, right? Because we're going to encounter something for the first time. It's going to form a first impression, and it's going to capture our attention That's why is this being brought up now? Right, so one of the things we're going to spend some time in in the next several weeks is this unique introduction that God is going to introduce this thing called the tabernacle. Now, previous to this moment, there isn't anything like this in Scripture. This place that God is going to deputize as a unique meeting place between man and God a a dwelling place, if you will, because that's how God's going to describe this. And so we're going to go into more of the fact that God introduces this to them. You have known me as the God who owns everything and is everywhere. And if they were going to bring offerings or worship God, they often would go to what was called the high places. And that would be in a variety of locations. And they would seek to bring something to God. And then there's these little sketches of moments where somebody had a unique, powerful encounter with God. These guys would have remembered that Moses met with God in a burning bush on the side of a mountain. Uh, They would have had stories about Abraham who had encounters with God, as Phil was reading this morning for us. There There were just a handful of encounters for Abraham with God. And there were just a handful of encounters with anybody with God. But then God says, let me introduce something to you. I want to dwell among you. I want to be with you. And that's what this tabernacle was all about. But then for the first time, in addition to that, and that's what we'll go into in the next few weeks, but in addition to that, God's going to assemble all of his people and he's going to take up an offering. Well, that hasn't been done before. It's not that people haven't given something to God. They have. But God's never taken up an offering before. He's never introduced the idea that God would ask people for their stuff. So now we've gotten used to that, right? That's kind of part of what we do on a weekly basis. We kind of bring up the opportunity to give. But this is the first time as a collected group of people, they're getting a chance for God to ask them for money. And does that strike you a little bit as a peculiar kind of a head-scratching thing? What, what do they know about this God at this moment? This is, this is the thundering Yahweh. This is the God who has shaken the mountains and whose power was made manifest just a few days earlier. <clears throat> and they've been blown away by what this God is like. <clears throat> and they're, they're thinking God's got an idea that he wants to build something. I mean, I don't know. Did they whisper among themselves and say, "Wait, hey, wait, wait. God needs some stuff from us? Does he... Does he know who we are? We've been slaves for 430 years. We got some stuff when we left Egypt, but this is is interesting. You know, when God showed up in our bondage and he decided to visit 10 plagues on the nation of Egypt and on its rulers, he he didn't ask us to go out and collect locusts for him. He just provided locusts and lots of them. When he needed gnats, he didn't need any help. Gnats just came in abundance. When they needed frogs, God provided frogs. When we, you know, got to the Red Sea, remember that? And there's this thing called water and molecularly, it gravity pulls it to the lowest point and it sits in this fluid form. And when God needed that to stand up like a wall, it wasn't a problem for him, he just did it. And, And then when there was no McDonald's along the way for this few million people wandering in the wilderness... And food was needed. God didn't ask us for anything. He just invented something called manna and made it appear on the ground every morning faithfully. So this is, this is kind of new for us. This sort of defies explanation. right? So I'm going to point out two peculiarities to the idea that God is going to take a contribution from people. Right? And Because I think we have some of these arguments in this category too. Peculiar feature number one. The Lord of creation, who, who doesn't lack anything, right? As far as we know, takes up offerings from mortals. Clearly, that's what he does. This is a head scratcher. And, you know, hey, we all can get a little weird when we start feeling like somebody's reaching into our stuff. All right, so be clear here. The only knowledge that these people have that God is doing this is through Moses. Yeah, right, Moses, sure. Sure God told you to to take from us all this cool stuff we just took from Egypt. You sure God said this, right? You understand, you have this issue, right? Somebody stands up and takes an offering and they say, we need money for this. Yeah, right. You know, the church is always asking for money. Okay, just remember when God installed this kind of stuff, he didn't thunder, he didn't write it in the sky, he just spoke it to Moses and then Moses had to speak it to the people and the people had to buy it. Yeah, what you gonna do with this Moses, huh? Huh? (laughs) Take all of our cool stuff. But here's here's an even bigger head scratcher. If God doesn't lack anything, He's the sovereign Lord of creation, right? Those are very powerfully loaded words, right? Sovereign meaning he's the reigning power. No one has power over him. Lord in the Bible means the owner, the master. So he is the powerful, sovereign, with all authority, owner and master of everything, and he's coming to us for stuff this doesn't work as a matter of fact this joins a list of other things in my mind that just doesn't work either like why does god ask us to pray you ever think about that he's the sovereign lord of the universe doesn't the bible say god can do whatsoever he will So it doesn't make any sense to us, right, that God would ask us to pray. This is another one of those, okay, this is a head scratcher. This God can do anything he wants. And I'm guessing at some point, I don't know if anybody prayed and he created. He just chose to create. But yet he makes prayer sound like you and I need to do this. but, But we know better than that, don't we? God doesn't need anything. So why would would we feel like we need to pray? Or evangelism, for that matter. Sharing the gospel. Seeking opportunities to share the gospel. Taking a system of belief that has come to us, that has revolutionized our lives, and put us in relationship with God, and sharing that news with someone else. But God's the sovereign God of the universe. He can make himself known however he wants to. And he does. Why does he need me to share the gospel with anybody? Now, these are the arguments that sit inside of us. And these are arguments that come up when it comes to money and offerings and contributing to God. We all know God doesn't need my money. And some of us give like God doesn't need our money. But listen, we also... Pray sometimes like God doesn't need my prayers, right? I mean, right now, do a quick survey of your prayer life. You get to the end of the day, get to the end of the week, it's been thin. You kind of can let yourself off the hook in some ways because you kind of know doesn't need me to pray. He runs the universe, right? I mean, he's got everything in control. He's ordering everything to happen according to his plan. He doesn't really need me to pray. And so therefore, well, you know, therefore prayer is not really all that significant, right? So this is a challenge with you and I bringing our human reasonings to the things that God does. Because if you want want to get into the category of whether God needs any of this stuff, uh, well, let's get down to brass tacks here. God doesn't need us to worship him. Do you think God needs that from you and me? And, and, you know, maybe worship isn't your favorite word when it comes to God. Maybe love is your favorite word when it comes to God. You do recognize God doesn't need you to love him either. So let us know God is sitting in heaven like some insecure, incomplete creature waiting and hoping that We're going to turn our attention to him and tell him how important he is to us and affirm him because he's just there chewing his fingernails, wondering if if he really matters and if he's really important. Now, listen, that might be one of us, but that's not the God of the universe. God didn't create us and create a relationship with us because he was a needy individual that needs us to provide something to him to fix him. So if we want to use that as the basis for whether or not we're going to do some of these things or not, God doesn't need us. And God definitely doesn't need this stuff. Are you kidding me? Gold, silver, bronze, yarns and fine linen, onyx stones and settings. Do you think God needs this stuff? You do remember where this stuff came from, right? God somehow, in some mental laboratory, created molecular structures that made linen. And then he bonded together some other molecular structures, and poof, out came gold. And then a few others, and out came stones, precious. And then we learned to go, ooh, over those. Ooh, gold. Right? Nobody goes, ooh, aluminum. I don't know. It's, but I think it took God the exact same effort to fashion molecules into aluminum. But we go gold. We go oh, diamonds and rubies and onyx stones. Ooh. You think God's in heaven going, Ooh, diamonds? Can y'all bring me some diamonds? Are right, you recognize God doesn't need these things, and He's not impressed by them either. In the equation here of need, the real situation is we need God to touch these things in our lives. We have a need for God to touch the things that we value. We value these things. They matter to us. And we have need of God Engaging our value system, engaging the things that really, really come to matter to us. You know, as we've said in the last couple of weeks, <clears throat> there are pleasures that God has put in this world. And some of them, as we said a few weeks ago, are like the, the pleasure of copper tucked away inside of mountains that God gave man the ingenuity and he kind of let him know there's copper over there. So off on a quest we go to dig that stuff out and go, ooh, look, it's shiny. That's cool we could do stuff with this and we, and we do stuff and, and we take pleasure in it. And there's, there's engineering and ingenuity and jewelry and all kinds of stuff that come from these things. And we think, oh, that's awesome. And God wanted us to be impressed with that. But for the sake of using it like a stepladder, to climb on top of that and go, God, if this stuff is impressive, you go far beyond all your creation. It, it was a means of launching us Toward God to say, God, this is valuable to me, but you exceed the value of that. Now, listen, we do that all the time. At some point in the past year, the coming year, whenever, you exchange things that were valuable to you for something that was more valuable to you, right? Maybe you've got $20,000 in your bank account or that you can earn. At some point, you stare out at a thing called transportation and at a vehicle, and you say, you know what? That vehicle is more valuable to me than the $20,000 I have in my account. So I will, I will part with the $20,000 in order to have the vehicle that serves pleasures, interests, activities in my life, right? We do this all the time. We, we find houses more valuable than cash. And living in a tent. I've got bunches and boatloads of money, but I live in a tent. Uh, well, no, no, I think it's more valuable to live in out. So we do this all the time. God comes along and says, Hey, let me give you a little bit of an, a value adjustment here. I want you to give me that as a statement that you need to make in your own heart, that I am more valuable to you than your gold, your silver, and your bronze, your precious yarns, all the Gems and stones that you have. That, by the way, I provided that for you as well. Listen, when you and I reason that, well, I don't really need to give to God. And I don't really need to pray. I don't really need, because God doesn't need this from me. That is a terribly wrong idea, and 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 none of us have permission from God to go there. As a matter of fact, God says the opposite. Psalm fifty verse 10, God makes this point. He says, for every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, right? This has to do with them bringing offerings, right? They were bringing animal offerings to God as though, well, does God really need us to do this, right? Well, if he doesn't really need it, then should we really be doing it? That's the thinking. Verse 11, I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me listen god you, know, you ever you ever wonder what god did with these things that were offered to him right you, you're gonna have this bull that you're gonna bring it's gonna get slain and it's gonna be a blood everywhere and it's gonna be an offering to god but god stands and says you, you, you think i eat these i've got a barbecue going on in heaven you think i drink the blood of these things So then, well, well, God, if you're not using this stuff, I could sure use it. (laughs) If you don't need this, God, what? Why am I doing it? Because you need it. You need to give it to me. I'm not the one in need. You're the one in need. And there's a dimension of your life that will never get touched unless you part with it and give it to me. And it's going to actually serve you, right? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in a day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So you know what the impact of all these offerings was doing for them? It was teaching them to look to God. It was teaching them to take the the increase that God had brought into their lives and bring it back to God. And in thanksgiving, right? So these are thanksgiving offerings because they are a recognition that the God over all of creation has provided for me. He has met my needs. He has watched over my life. So every time they brought, a, made a vow or brought an offering to God, that's the impact that that activity was having on their soul. They were being taught to trust God and to hope in God. So that, so that... You will call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Right, so interesting to listen to Phil share uh, just from the season that they have been in. And I think any of us who feel the sobering weight of being a provider in our family, in our homes, to stand in almost April and say it's been November since I had an income, is in its own way a day of trouble. That's troubling. Now, you know what? If Phil, which I've known this man for a lot of years, hadn't had the life practice of turning to God with his offerings, giving to God on a regular basis as God had provided to him, all those years and years of faithfully giving to God... Taught him that God will deliver me in the day of trouble. Bro, you'd be in sad shape right now if you were trying to learn that for the first time. If right now you decide, oh, I gotta look to God to meet my need because I don't have a job and my employer is not meeting my need. See, when you get let your employer provide into your life, and you don't transfer that back to God by giving it to him in some way that he has prescribed in Scripture. You stop looking to God as your source and you start looking to your company as your source. And then when your company fires you or lets you go or downsizes or whatever they do, now you're without a source. Because in your heart and your practice, God was never your source. Your company was. And the day of trouble will be some severe trouble for you. So God says, listen, uh, I don't need this stuff. You need it to give it to me. Because it will teach you to look to me. And I you know, I find it interesting right here that. Here, these guys were slaves. You remember who we're dealing with here? 430 years of slavery. They didn't own anything. These people subsisted at best. They leave Egypt and God says, Hey, on your way out, help yourself. Take everything you want. And they just took one thing after another and loaded it up. I'm not sure how they carried it all out. But they started off into the desert. And they've got all these trinkets and stuff because God told them to take it. And they've, they've been really, really rich for three months. It's been three months at this point. And God turns around and says, hey, you three-month wealthy people, give me that stuff. What? God, we, we, we finally got a little extra spending money here. And you want us to do what with it? Give it back to you. Can you understand how weird this is for them? But that's exactly what God does. John Piper, in the book that is recommended to you, he says, one of the greatest motivations for not loving money or for trying to overcome our fears with money. And how many of us know that whether you want to acknowledge it or not, most of us have got a lot of fear when it comes to money. How many you guys know that? You know, because money touches provision. It touches your well-being. It touches how you think people feel about you. It touches whether you're going to survive in a good place or not. It touches whether you can retire. It touches whether you got health benefits if you got sick. Right? Money touches a lot of stuff, right? So there's a lot of fear in this category with us one of the great motivations for not loving money or for trying to overcome our fears with money is found in Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do To me, I've got the Lord. That's what this verse is trying to convince me of. Rescue yourself from your fears, not with money, but with the knowledge that you have the Lord. And he's got your back. Notice, Piper says, that the writer to the Hebrews argues. That is, he gives reasons. He gives grounds for freedom from the love of money. Be free from the love of money and be content, he says, because God has promised something. So the power of the love of money is to be broken by God's promise to be something for us. Well, what is that? Be free because God has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, if you enjoy the presence of God more than the presence of money, you'll be freed by the promise of his presence. Liberty from the satisfaction of money's presence comes from the superior satisfaction of God's presence. And God apparently knew that these guys having a stash of cash available to them was something he needed to interact with immediately. Three months of carrying around a lot of gold and trinkets and stuff, and God says, um, I want to make sure you never learn to look to that stuff for your hope. Now, how does he get us to do that? Give it back to me. Because God needs it? No, because we need to do that. Right, here's peculiar feature number two. God doesn't need their money, but he takes it from a people that do. All right, this is, you know, this is one of our arguments to giving to God, isn't it? You know, one, we've realized God and his greatness and in the fact that he manages the universe and he's got lots of resources and he can just speak things, whatever. He can do whatever he wants. He doesn't need my money. And I do. Well, so did they. Remember, they just wandered off into the wilderness with very little supplies and stuff, They've encountered, they, they've avoided enemies along the way and they've encountered enemies along the way. How many of you guys know that these bunch of slaves might could use a weapons upgrade? How many of y'all think they went out with bright, shiny swords, every man, lots of training and skill and how to use them? Right, so in the sense of being out on the frontier and wandering out into a place where we're gonna have to deal with other nations, we're gonna need some kind of foreign policy, we might have to trade with people to gain favor from them. We might need supplies. We might have to buy something. I'm bringing my family out into the wilderness. There's nothing here. And then we get to a place and there's, we've already heard, there's people inhabiting this land that we're going to. Well, I know God promised it, but you know, hey, you're not the first person who thinks you lost sight of the promises of God, right? Yeah, sure, God promises that, but but listen, I've heard some awful things. Have you heard these? people I've even heard there's giants. These people are unusually big. And there's fortified cities everywhere. And I know God said it's going to be great when we get there. But listen, all right, fast forward to Numbers 13 where everybody gets a glimpse of the land and they all come back freaking out. No matter what God has said, they don't think they can have that. Well, maybe we can buy them out. Maybe we can hire an army. We've got some money finally, for goodness sake. We need this. And, and those wouldn't be... Terrible thoughts, would they? I mean, a little bit of wisdom in making a plan. Most of us are taught that. You've got strategic future needs in your life, right? Because one of the things we're going to learn here today is this is not not the tithe. This is from their wealth. This is from their bank account. This is money set aside. We've already tithed on this money. This is something else. And now I'm being asked to draw from something else that, you know, hey, I've got a need for that, right? I pick up my life glasses and look into the future. And like you, I see stuff coming and I'm going to need to prepare for that. I just can't give everything away and spend it all. And that day comes and well, you know, what about uh, college? College is coming. College expenses for kids. It's just ridiculously expensive today to go to college. And, and what about your kids get married? You know, I've got a plan for weddings, and we've got expenses in that. And, and then retirement, I mean, I, I, I can't work forever, and I'm going to have to put some money aside to retire, right? Aren't these legitimate things? Your family vacations, that's a legitimate thing. You know, you get the pace of life, and you're busy, and you're doing 100 things, and sometimes you're just passing each other in the hallway, and you You decide, you know, we're going to take a week and go off on vacation just as a family, and we're going to just be together. Hey, that's valuable, and that's legitimate. I hope you don't go on vacation feeling guilty about doing that. You connect with your kids, and your kids remember that, hey, dad actually took time just to be with us and pay attention to to what's going on with us. And that costs money, right? you got to somehow come up with a plan for that. Or you're a young couple and you want to save for your first house. You've been paying rent. You just, we, we just need a down payment. We're just collecting a little bit. And we're putting it aside. And that little nest egg is growing. And one day we want to use that. Or you got car expenses. This car is long. You know, the wheels are falling off. you have taking it to get repaired ten times. And you're realizing, we're going to need to buy another car. And you've been putting money on the side. And you've got this little money on the side thing going on. And you get God steps in and says, give me some of that. What? wait a minute, God, I'm putting this on the side for a reason, and and you don't really need it. Come on. You're God. You could print your own bills if you wanted to, or you could go tap somebody else who I know has got more money than I have, right? So there's a lot of reasons here for us to, to bump into God's plan and say, Oh, God, I've got reasons why not to do what you're saying. Well, they had reasons too not to do it. And yet it didn't stop God from calling on them to do exactly that. Take from your abundance and give to me. Now, you know, one thing, just a little thought, one thing to install. We are, we are good about acknowledging God is sovereign, can do whatsoever He will. But that's not all the Bible teaches. That that sovereign God who can do whatsoever he will often uses means to do whatsoever he will. So when you and I get served up with being the means, whether it's through prayer or evangelism, communicating the gospel, or through giving, any of those things are means that the sovereign God has chosen to use. And so we shouldn't finish our argument with, well, well, God, you don't need this, and you're sovereign anyway. So I don't really need to do what you're calling me to do in this category, right? The Bible doesn't sound that way. Now, let me me just address what's happening here, right? There's this explanation given by Moses that he's going to be taking up a contribution. Let's clarify what exactly is going on here. Well, first, let me say what is not going on here. This is not the tithe, right? There is a tithe principle of giving to God, That is in Scripture. I'm going to give you a quick blitz through some thought here in that category. Uh, This is not the tithe. The tithe is connected to regular patterns of God providing into our lives. So whether that's a, a baby calf is born in the flock or the fields are growing and there's a harvest of grain Uh, In our lives, whatever means that God provides something into our lives, we respond by giving a tithe of that back to God. That's not what's happening here. This is a special moment, right? And Where's the tithe idea come from? Well, it it comes, it doesn't even come from Mount Sinai. A lot of people think it does. It doesn't come from Mount Sinai. Genesis 14, verse 18. So we're 600 and something years earlier than this moment. It says, and Melchizedek, king of Salem brought out bread and wine. Okay, the the moment for this is Abraham has just fought a battle in the valley with the three kings and he whooped them. And, you know, when you whoop them, you get all their stuff. And so Abraham's got all these goods, kind of like what happens in Egypt. He's got all this stuff that he now possesses. And up walks this guy, this mysterious guy named Melchizedek. And we learn he was priest- of God most high. Now he was priest before Aaron was priest, before Sinai installed any priests. So there's there's some kind of priesthood with this God who owns the universe. And Melchizedek is representing God as a priest, and he comes walking up to Abraham, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Now listen, if you ever have God say that to you. You need to perk your little ears up because that's just not like a cool title. That's a subtle reminder, maybe not so subtle reminder, that everything around you is owned by him. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. So the next breath you're going to take it's his. The air you're going to breathe, his. The green fields over there, his. All that stuff you just took from those kings, his. Just a little subtle reminder here. And blessed be God, most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. All right, so this is where an offering turns into thanksgiving. Because Abraham now is being reminded, you know, Abraham, you know why you just uh, kick some butt in the valley against these kings? Because God delivered them into your hands. God did that. So now he has an opportunity to respond to the provision of God in his life. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is not Levitical priesthood. This is not Mount Sinai. This is Abraham knowing in his heart, when God provides, you give back to God a tithe. Genesis 28, verse 20, then Jacob, years later, Jacob made a vow Saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. In other words, God will provide. So that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. All right, so this, again, is that pattern of, God, if you put something in my life, I'm going to respond by giving a tithe of it back to you. So whatever you stick in my life, a tithe is going to go back to you. Right? That's what we encounter here. And then even before we get to Exodus 25 and Exodus 22, we get a similar installment. It says, you shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen, with your sheep. Seven days it will be with its mother. On the eighth, you shall give it to me. So if I provide for you, I expect that you will acknowledge where that provision comes from. By doing what? Making a cake, blowing out some candles, applauding God. God, how do you want us to respond? Give 10% of it back to me. That's how I want you to respond. And then in the back of my mind, I'm going, but you don't need that. And I do. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? That's a hard thing to do. And do not lean on your own understanding, which my understanding says God doesn't need this and I do. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Now you, you got two sections right there. You've got wealth in your life and you've got whatever comes in this week. God says honor him with both of them. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting With wine. How many of us we we know this verse? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We take shelter in that, don't we? That verse is connected to honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your increase. Because honoring the Lord in that way is a means of building trust in my life for God. Because God needs that? No because I need that because if you stick some of the trinkets of Egypt in my pockets, it's amazing how my mind will go to work, how I can spend this for my benefit and how important it is to me and how I need to now start some kind of a multi-level marketing Rob Egypt plan so I can get more of this stuff. I'm going to start my own business, how to loot Egyptians. It's going to be the name of it, looting Egyptians. I'm going to go on, be bigger than amazon.com. My mind's racing now. Right? So I said, I need to keep you from that. I need, I need to remind you that I am the source in your life. The stuff you got from Egypt was because I gave it to you, just like I gave that stuff to Abram. But this is not the tithe, right? The tithe is simply a recognition. I call it recognition rent. It is our way of acknowledging and thanking God for being the source of all that is in our lives. The tithe is future hope protection. It keeps us from placing our hope in money rather than in the God who provides the money that just came into our lives. So, so what is this offering then? What, what's happening here in Exodus chapter 25? It's not the tithe. It is a now moment where God is doing something among his people where he says, right now, I want to do this and I want you involved this way. And he, reaches in, and he reaches in very specifically, right? Notice you can't just bring God anything and everything here. He's, he's got a special project going on. He needs this and the, here's the ingredients of what I need. I'm doing this right now and we're going to see next week how ex- unbearably exciting it is to think that God's going to move in with us. And to do that, he wants you to build this exactly according to the pattern that I'm going to show you. And I want you to provide the stuff to build it. So you know you can't just come and say, "Oh, I want to give. I want to give. I've got a lot of birds. I'm a bird person. I've got all kinds of birds. I'm gonna bring birds." "Mm, No thanks. Keep your birds. No, but I really want to give them. No, I'm not this time. I'm a shoemaker. I've got. I make shoes. I'm really good at making shoes. I've got tons and tons and tons of shoes. Just sitting. I want to bring. I want to bring shoes. No, keep your shoes. Not on the list. You got any of this? No, I don't have any of that. All right. Well, then you don't have anything to bring then. You do have some of this. Oh, well, then then you do have something to bring. Would you like to give? Very different presentation here. God God speaks about the tithe like, hey, you know, when your grain fields get harvested, give me 10%. And, you know, nowhere does he present the idea that if your heart so moves you after you have harvested your crops. After seven days and the firstborn has come into your flock if your heart so moves you, I'm just telling you, go back and read those verses. You get a different presentation here. You want to do this or not? Up to you. You don't want to do it? Okay, don't do it. You do want to do it? Okay, great. Do it. This is, this is a special contribution. This is a special offering. And, and they're going to do the same thing when they get to build a temple. They're going to take up an offering. It's going to sound just like this. It's not going to be the tithe. They will have been tithing for years and years and years. They're not going to say, hey, 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 what do you mean build the temple? We've been tithing for years. Use that money, why don't you? No, no. God's going to come again, and they're going to take up an offering to build the temple. You know, when you get it all the way into the first century church, right? Turn real quick, if you can, to 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is a very long presentation of a special offering that's being taken from multiple churches in the region where the Corinthian church was, as well as due north of them. And this was a special season. There was a great need. There there was potentially a famine and poverty had had broken out and, and particularly it hit Jerusalem in a strong way. So you had believing Christians who were Jewish in background who were suffering in this time period. And, and Paul now is gone to the Gentile Christians out in Greece and asked them for money for these Jews. Now, I think this is a multifaceted offering. I think it absolutely is relief for the poor. They are suffering Christians in the Jerusalem area. This is not the tithe, this is not why we tithe, this is a special offering being asked for the people to relieve a need that's in their lives. But I think it's also a strategic moment for as this Jew and Gentile element is trying to come together into one church. The Jews who have had the upper hand are now the ones in need. And Paul has found an opportunity and God has found an opportunity to give the Gentiles the upper hand to be the ones who will take up an offering and give it to these Jews. And Paul is making some noise about that. He is so excited. He's pumping that up. He's making a big deal. He's telling these Jews and these believers all over the place, you just wait until you see what the guys in Corinth are going to do. They have pledged to help you guys out of this mess. And and by the way, the guys up in Macedonia, they have given unbelievably. These guys don't have a lot, but they have given out of their own poverty to relieve this need. These people love you, and you matter to them, and they're stepping it up. Now Paul's going to collect. And he's worried. Are you guys going to come through on what you said you'd do? that's the context when you start reading chapter 9. Now it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia saying that Achaia, which is a region where Corinth is, has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm I'm sending the brothers ahead of him, right? So that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. So that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that It may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That verse typically gets used when you just take up the weekly offering. Can I just tell you that, you know, whether or not this applies to the tithe, I won't try and conclude that. But when you come across the tithe, it doesn't sound that way. This sounds like Exodus chapter 25. This sounds like a special project. Everybody whose heart moves you, give. Oh, and a bunch of y'all said you would. And so I've been like tallying it up and we're going to exceed the goal. And I've been telling everybody about how generous you guys are going to be. Now, now, listen, when I get there and you actually got to write the check for this stuff, uh, one, let me make sure you're going to do that. So I don't want to show up and all of a sudden find out you're not going to do it. You're reneging on your promise. So I'm going to send somebody ahead and he's going to collect it all so that when I get there, we just celebrate that you gave it. Oh, and by the way, uh, don't make this like a compulsion thing to where you've got to be made to feel guilty and pressured to give because, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. That's the context of God loves a cheerful giver, by the way. It sounds just like Exodus chapter 25. Everyone whose heart moved him gave. What if my heart doesn't move me? Well, then don't give. That's what this is. This is the offering. And this touches their wealth. This touches stuff that's been put aside and probably put aside for other reasons. So I know sometimes it can be a little confusing. This is, you know, your tithe is like this one-time thing. When something comes into your life, you tithe on it. You don't tithe again on it. You don't come back later and say, okay, this is another tithe. No, 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 no. This is just an offering. This is just you taking whatever you've managed to put aside in your life and say, hey, out of that, what do I think God wants me to give to this moment? This is coming from your wealth. This is honoring the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your increase. All right. Um, Now, interesting here. Exodus 25 is is a historic moment. Uh, Quite honestly, if I I had to say, because I know we we remember, this is my opinion, and I haven't written any commentary, so you can go with somebody else on this if you want. Um, When you get to Mount Sinai, the thing we remember most about Mount Sinai is the law. The law was given at Mount Sinai. But I think the law was given as a reason to create the people to live for the glory of God because of what we're about to read about in Exodus 25. God is going to move in among you. He's going to dwell with you. He delights in a life that looks like him. Oh, here's the the commands to help you in understanding what a life that looks like him is going to look like. So it's almost like the law is given, not as, hey, hey, just have the law. The law is given to create a community where God can dwell among us. So this is an amazing moment. The people of God are about to have God move in with them. And so if this is the door they're about to pass through in Exodus chapter 25. And you, I mean, you got to be honest with me. The doorknob on that door is their offering. The first thing God brings up. Listen, by the way, I wasn't planning on really hanging out in this verse. I, I couldn't get past it on my way to the door. I want to talk about God dwelling among us. God says, well, don't run past this offering thing on your way to talking about that because I didn't run past it. I've highlighted it and I made a moment out of it and I called on everybody to give. So here's an interesting thing. It, It would be their contributions that would actually open the door to them experiencing the presence of God among them. That's just a fact. You and I can relegate giving to an unimportant, doesn't really matter type posture, but is it not true that when God desired to manifest his life among his people, he chose that the means through which he would do it was willing hearts who would give to that purpose and would provide the means through which he would build the tabernacle. Did God need to do it this way? And right, we all know the answer to that. God, who said, let there be light, would not have had a problem with saying, let there be a tabernacle. And they woke up just like manna was on the ground. and They were like, who? What's this stuff? It's everywhere. Oh, my gosh. They could have walked out, woke up one morning, rubbing their eyes and looked over and there's this bright gleaming with tents all over the place. And they go, wow, who did that? And as a matter of fact, that would have made more sense to them because that's how God was doing stuff. Poof, wasn't here. Poof, it is now. Poof, look at that. And God says, no, nope, not this time. I'm going to build this, but you're actually going to be involved. And so that, that's, that's helpful for us. Uh, you can go ahead and come up, Ronald. That's helpful for us in a category that I, I want the Lord to help us with this morning. Right? Can I, and hopefully you already have. Can I get you to lower your guard a little bit? We're talking about money. Can I get you to do that? I think you already have. I mean, I don't feel anybody like, oh, can we move on, please? All right, first, can you just go here with me? If you read the scriptures, you're going to find out when it comes to money, God doesn't need to talk about this. But we need him to talk about this. Can everybody go there with me for a second? Can you acknowledge that you need God to talk about money in your life? Because it is powerful, influential. It can be a substitute overnight. It can displace God faster than you can imagine. And you can be here and be a a very godly person and and not realize how dependent your sense of well-being has become upon your bank account. I know you read your Bible, and I know you do things that are godly, and you're living for God in all kinds of ways. But, you know, this could sneak in. And suddenly, how much I have, and how far into the future can I survive on what I have? And, you know, listen, I'm, I'm thinking about retirement for the first time in my life, because I'm realizing I'm rapidly getting toward... The t- time in which, you know, you're going to have to be able to provide for your wife differently. My kids are on their own at that point, but I'm going to have to be, I think they are, but um, that's another story. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to be able to provide. And so I start looking at, you know, can, can I do that? Do we have things in place to do that? Are those years going to be secure? And, you know, I can stare over at a bank account and go, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I should panic now. I should just go ahead and panic now. Or I should be trained in my heart in looking to God so that when that day comes and that day might feel like the day of trouble, something God has given me has prepared me to look to him and not to look to these things. And that's what tithes and offerings do for us. They train us to look to God. And I need that. And listen, you need that in your life without question. But you could be here this morning, and you could be in a category that, that I don't. I don't want to soften this up. You might need to repent this morning for the way in which you manage your money and answer your phone as well. Could be God calling to let you know. Specifically, I'm talking to you. That... I know you're not listening to the preacher, so I'm gonna have to call you personally. Uh-huh. You know, if, if, if giving has become something that's got to make sense to us a certain way, well, the church doesn't really need any money. I mean, look, building's nice, falling apart, everything looks fine, right? So what is that? That is, I don't need to do this because I don't see the need for it. Well, they didn't either. And quite honestly, God is never in need, and God can always do something differently. So if that's your argument for not giving, well, spread that around to everything in your life. Or stop doing that. But when we shove it into that category and we want to approve the way in which money is spent, you know, I'm telling somebody today, I don't know what Melchizedek did with all that stuff. Y'all ever think about that? Abraham's got all this stuff. He's got swords and he's got gadgets and the latest trinkets and Melchizedek comes along and he gives him 10%. I don't know if he goes, well, what are you going to do with that, Melchizedek? Before I, before I give it to you. Who decides how this gets spent, by the way? I don't know if I like the way you're dressed, Melchizedek. You look a little overdressed. You don't look like you need any of this. Isn't this what we do? And God's not calling us to that side of the equation because this is not about all those things as much as it's about me. I need to do this. And when God taps into our giving, it is more about trusting him than it is about needing anything from us. So this is why I say it's a repentance issue. Because if you're not giving, you can dress it up in all kinds of fancy ideas. But at the end of the day, it's a lack of trust. And there, quite honestly, I don't know if there's a worse sin that we ever commit against God than to fail to trust Him. Oh, well, what about adultery? I don't think so. I think adultery says I had a weak moment and I'd sought pleasures in a category I shouldn't have. I think a lack of trust says, you know what, God, I can't find anything in you that rescues me from this moment. Which one do you think feels worse? So it may be that if you look at your life and you say, you know, what, I'm, I'm not a giver. And if I do, it's just rare every once in a blue moon. I got no intentionality in this category. Can, can I tell you your life says something that you don't want it to say. It says, God, I don't trust you. And I think that is something to repent of, to say, God, I I am wrong for not looking to you in greater trust, putting my hope in you and knowing that you will meet me and you will meet my needs and you will be my God in the day of trouble. Maybe repentance because I'm controlled by fear. Maybe I don't give because I'm very afraid. I'm controlled by what might happen if I gave this and then, but what if I need it? And what if the, what if I don't have something in the future? And, and, and you know, we just live these fearful, fearful lives. Well, you know, a fear again is, is a trust issue that maybe God is saying, you know. I want you to give and then trust me. I I want you to have to venture into this territory where you look at your life and go, you know, I gave that away and now I don't know if I got enough. That's where I want you to be. I want you to be exactly there. And can I just tell you as a human being right along with you, I hate that location. There's something in me that says, no, no, I want to take my ruler out and say, you got this many years of life left and you're going to need this much money. Okay, they match up. I'm good. I'm so at peace. God is so great. But then when I subtract a little bit from it and it looks like, oh, I can't get there. I'm not going to make it to the end of the month. I'm going to have to trust God, but I'm going I'm to give anyway. I think God loves that moment because he says, oh, I gave you the opportunity to trust the trinkets from Egypt, but you put your hope in me. And that's what God calls us to do. So can we ponder a couple things this morning that maybe God wants to really liberate us in this category? So why don't we stand up together? Let's invite the Holy Spirit to help lead us for a moment. Lord, there is a a searching that you do that we want to welcome, Lord. We don't want to hide from you. It says, The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth, seeking those whose hearts are fully his. Um, well, Lord, I want to know. I want to know. I don't, I don't want to just feel good. I want to know, is, is my heart fully yours? God, if I put trust and hope in you in such a way that my heart is being trained, So that one day, if the day of trouble comes, in that day, I will live just like I'm living today. I will greet that day, not with fear or panic, but with expectation that my God will make my path straight and he will deliver me. Because he has always provided for me. And he will provide for me yet again. Lord, would you search us this morning? Or maybe there are some here who are in this setting and they're saying, Lord, you know I don't give. God, you know I don't. Not even a little bit. God, I pray that you would search us this morning. That, that, That shouldn't be how any of us interact with this category of our lives. You've called us to respond to you with giving hearts giving hearts are also trusting hearts. Giving hearts are hearts that put their hope in a particular place. And God, that's really important. So Lord, if we're here this morning and our hearts right now are convicted that that we just don't give, Lord, would you meet us in that moment? Would you give us a heart to turn from that, to turn from that pattern, to turn from our fears perhaps? Lord, just confess that to you. And if that's where you are, just tell the Lord that. God loves you. seeking to bring you to a new, fresh place. Tell him, well, Lord, I don't give because I'm afraid. I want a fixed income. There's been a lot of needs or something's broken or I don't know where the company's going to be next year. and I didn't even have a job. God, I'm afraid. I'm not giving because I'm afraid. Well, tell the Lord that. Confess it to him. Let him meet you in that moment. Lord, I don't give because... Well, you just haven't given me a sufficient reason for me to give. I'm like these Israelites. I could have reasoned that, God, you don't need this, and I do. So therefore, it's better for me to hold on to it. But, Lord, I recognize this morning those are misplaced reasons, and those are not what's to guide me in whether or not I give. So, God, I I repent of that. Lord, I should not be imposing my reasons on top of your reasons. You have reasons for which I may not fully understand, but they are your reasons, God. So, God, I turn away from substitute reasons this morning, and I just turn to you, Lord, in trust. God, I pray for faith. Lord, I pray for faith in hearts. Lord, it's always such a blessing. God, you know the saints among us here who giving is an adventure for them. <laughs> giving is a blast. It is a joy upon joy. And they live to figure out how to give more and how to trust in you more. Well, God, I, that's faith that you have given to folks to be able to do that. And Lord, I pray for that. And I pray that our faith would overflow in this category. Or not just because there's purposes in our giving, but simply because what an adventure in trusting you. That we would have hearts that are not bound to limited things that can break and fail us, but our hearts are woven into you in such a way that we do not hope in money. Because we trust in God's promises. We have him. We are mindful that we have him. He is with us. He dwells with us. He's got our back. There's never going to be a day when we will lack because of him. So God, would you stir faith among us? Would you welcome into our lives a new way of living for your glory as it pertains to what we do with both our wealth and our regular increase in our lives? Would you be so pleased, God, to be in our midst, knowing that we delight to trust in you? I'm going to sing a song before we depart. Can I just encourage you with this reality from people who are in these seats here today? There was a day. In our lives as a church together where a nasty little rainstorm named Katrina came and wiped out our church, relocated a bunch of people in the church and left a percentage of people here who wanted to continue to serve and glorify God as a church. So we met, talked, cast vision for rebuilding and never in my wildest imagination would we have ever talked about something that would cost 11 and a half million dollars to do. I don't, I don't even know how to write numbers that big. You got to understand, I resisted the elders when we were trying to spend $450,000 on expanding the old building. I think they had to talk me into that. And so we stepped into that moment with a much smaller group of people than this. And in less than three years, raised more than $3 million in cash to move into this building. That that was a moment when people stared into every form of wealth that they had. People had stocks that they cashed in. They had retirement things that they messed with. They had vacations that they didn't take. They surveyed whatever wealth was there And they said, God, whatever I need this for in the future, you're gonna be there for me. But right now, I gladly part with it. Nobody had to do that. It wasn't like a tithe, it was just, hey, however God moves your heart. And what was simply amazing, you're gonna see that in Exodus, it's so neat to retell the same story, is that we had asked for pledges from people. And of course, all the educated people tell you that. When you go and you get pledges, expect maybe to get 75% of those pledges to come in. And then we collected over 100% of the pledges. People gave more than what they pledged. But that was a day of, my heart so moves me. What do you need? And my heart is moved. And there were some who couldn't do anything. And there were some who could do an incredible this, and we are living in the presence of God, if you will, today. Because some people gave and put the doorknob on the door that opened up all kinds of future ministry where people have been saved, healed, their marriages have been blessed, their families have been strengthened, their knowledge and worship of God has been impacted. Now, there's been impact on the city. We have participated in missions around the world. Did you ever stop and think that was enabled by a a band of people who said we're going to give abundantly beyond what we even think we can afford. And here we are. Well, that's still the God we serve. And he still takes offerings from mortals. And we gladly participate with him. Amen. You got a good song, Ronald? Sure. All right. It's yours. Let's
1: sing together. O great God of highest heaven Occupy my lowly heart Own it all and reign supreme Conquer every rebel power Let no vice or sin remain That resists your holy have loved and purchased me, make me yours forevermore. And I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joy then your spirit gave me life opened up your word to me through the gospel of your son gave me endless hope and peace help me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace keep my Soul, from the evils that I face, You are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. O oh, Great God of highest heaven, glorify Your name. Through me. Let me close this in prayer. Father, equip us, empower us, and lead us to do your will with everything you have given us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Have a good afternoon.